I'm Jin. And I'm Sophie. Welcome to A TARDIS OF ONE'S OWN, a queer feminist journey through time and space and new who. Exciting to be back for another week. Second episode. Second episode. We didn't get scared off. No, not yet. <laughs> yeah. So let's do a quick timeline check. What's happening in our timeline? Um, what's making us mad this week? So I'm acutely annoyed as a person of the British Isles that Boris survived the mm. vote of no confidence. And as you know, you pointed me in the direction of a Twitter thing, which pointed us in the direction of someone else's thoughts, which is a prime example again of men failing upwards. Yes. And it rolls me up no end. I can't do anything about it. And no. so I have this like impotent rage that can't go anywhere. It's kind of interesting as well because like that Twitter thread made the point, I think someone in the comments of that thread was saying that it's the same mar- margin that Margaret Thatcher won her no confidence mm. vote on and then she resigned. And it's kind of the same as Theresa May won her no mm. confidence vote on and then she resigned. And it's both incidences of women being like, I don't have enough, so I'll better, you know, check out. But Boris is like, I am so delusional and confident in my inability to be a good leader that because I've just managed to scrape in, I'll just persist with it. Mm. And, like, calling it an actual victory. I know. It's just it's the same with the Brexit thing, right? Mm. Like, the net margin is so narrow, but people are like, it's a victory. Mm. Cool. Because he just wants it to be what he wants it to be. Right? Yeah. 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 So, but, yeah, acutely annoyed at all. That's fair. That's a fair <laughs> observation. How about you? How has your week been? Yeah, no, it's been good. I mean, it's been pretty full-on, busy week with work, as you well know, other than the general ennui that we all experience in this pandemic world. Things are great. I'm excited to talk about this episode, so I'll do the episode summary. So yes. Episode two of the ninth Doctor season, which is called The End of the World. So in this episode, the Doctor takes Rose to the year five billion to witness the destruction of Earth. So first up, Bechdel mm. test. Yeah, so, I mean, definitely passes the mm-hmm. Bechdel test or the Bechdel-Wallace test, as yes. I read it being called this week. Prime example that jumps out to me, Rose talking to the blue plumber, mm-hmm. um, having a conversation about her job, what she's doing, everything. Yeah. But I do want to acknowledge, we do want to talk, a, a chat we've had um, in real life this week mm-hmm. around some current narrative around that, that Bechdel test. Yeah, so there's been a lot on Twitter that I became aware of on the discourse around the way that the Bechdel test is applied to media, in particular to queer media, and this idea that just because it might fail because there are no women in a show, but if the show is featuring other marginalised voices, does that negate the value of the property? And of course... We just want to acknowledge that we realise it's not a full-on academic <laughs> tool. Yeah. We're just using it within the, the in, an original lol way that it was meant to be. And it's just an interesting way to frame your thinking around whether, I guess, a cis white male is the focus of a story or whether there are other elements to it. So, yeah, that's kind of how we approach it. But we wanted to acknowledge the discourse. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And, yeah, just making sure that the other voices other perspectives are being heard especially when and things are getting better but like typically you know that that media is all made by mm. cis white straight guys right yeah in production companies and and Often, so yeah it, it, especially when the, that test was originally devised like it was important to to be foregrounding when that wasn't happening when other stories were being told so mm-hmm. yeah no i think it's cool and like you said yeah we're doing it in in a in a kind of fun lighthearted way but happy to have any thoughts and discussions yeah um in comments 
emails. Yeah, let us know. Let us know. Cool. Okay, so I will. We take an interns to decide a kind of theme to pick out of uh, each episode, and this week it is my turn. Mm-hmm. I will start with that. This episode has a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. Like I could have picked ten different themes that would have given us, you know, hours mm-hmm. worth of chat time. It's a generally super surreal episode. Yeah. <laughs> like it's super weird. It's a wild ride. And yeah, I think from even you know specifically from like that feminist or queer angle, lots to talk about. Mm. The particular one I went with, you know, this episode is set really far in the future, and the last human, as she calls herself, Lady Cassandra, is you know, presents as female. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, oh, that reminded me of that kind of slogan: "The future is female." Yeah. And how I came across it was when T-shirts with it got super popular, maybe like five or six years ago. But then also, not just the t-shirt, but generally that concept. Is the future going to be female? Like, is our our future currently compared to our past Mm. female? Does that what feminism wants? Is that what feminism is asking for? Yeah, so I feel like there's some interesting capacity for chats there. Yeah, cool. So I looked up kind of the history when you mentioned the future is female as a a concept. I I looked up what the origin of it is. And I came up with this Washington Post article that sort of outlined that it began in the 70s, like 75. Yep. Yep. And it was this lesbian bookshop owner who pioneered it, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, became popular because of a photo taken by the photographer Liz Cowan mm-hmm. of the folk singer Alex Dobkin wearing a t-shirt with the logo on in 1975. And it was a piece of merch mm-hmm. from... Labyrinth, I think you say that. Labyrinth. Labyrinth Books, mm. uh, New York City's first women's bookstore. Cool. And so after that, yeah, people approached uh, the photographer and asked to, uh, you know, to permission to reproduce that, that mm. T-shirt that was in the photo. And yeah, that I got my make those kind of main points from an article on Medium by Anna Burkhart, written in 1917, and she was taking more of a an angle. She was interviewing that photographer mm-hmm. um, and discussing how. It fitted into her kind of like women-focused, lesbian-focused work at that time. But I didn't come across this t-shirt or that slogan particularly Mm. until like way, way more recently when it started getting super popular, typically like black background white text or Mm. white background black text and guys wearing it. So that's how it popped up on my Instagram and stuff because dudes were wearing it. Right. And yeah, I want to talk about that. So Yeah, it's interesting because it seems very much to fall into that influencer style of feminism. So in this article in the Washington Post, this graphic designer in 2015 reposted it, got a really good response to it. And yeah. so she's the one who tried to like revitalize it and start selling it and stuff. And then apparently Cara Delevingne. Is that how you say her name? I yeah, can never yeah. say it properly. I think it's, I'm 93% sure it's Delevingne. <laughs> and so her girlfriend at the time, which was St. Vincent, the musician Annie Clark. Yep started wearing it and so lots of people started buying this t-shirt and then apparently um cara started selling her own version of these t-shirts with the same phrase which the designer was like you know kind of feeling bad about so i think there's something in that like this kind of commodification of feminism in that 2015 space which we kind of touched upon last week with this kind of like pink feminism and putting feminism on a slogan and putting it on a t-shirt but yes to return to your thing like so as soon as it became popular and quote-unquote woke, to use that word, yeah. suddenly a particular kind of guy was yeah. getting kudos for for be- being brave and wearing a T-shirt that said, the future is female on it. Yeah, and this, you know, herein lies some difficulties because I do not want to, and I have no right or desire to, gatekeep 
mm. what feminism is or how anyone should explore, demonstrate, publicize their own feminism. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the kind of attention that I was seeing with these, you know, influencer, randoms, models, whoever, particularly on Instagram, wearing those t-shirts, was a type of like, oh, wow, you, you know, this is awesome. Like, you know, guys being feminist. Yeah. A type of attention that if a woman was wearing it, wouldn't get. Yeah, it's kind of the bare minimum, right? And even if you're a woman wearing something like that, you might get a negative reaction rather than being, you know, patted on the head. It's kind of the same as being like when a guy's like, oh, he's babysitting his own children. It's like, isn't he a great dad? No, he's being a parent. That is his job. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, uh, again, this isn't going to be the case for everybody, but I, I kind of have like this kind of visceral reaction of, is there some level of virtue signaling going on here to be like you know i i want to show that i'm woke show that i'm of the moment you know that kind of mid well yeah like 2015 like you were saying the kind of i feel like that's really when instagram was like properly kicking off and this kind of content creator and being an influencer became like an actual proper job for people and so you want to tap into the zeitgeist right that's what everyone does in any era whether it's in film or television or newspaper whatever you want to tap into that zeitgeist but that commodification of kind of feminist symbols and thinking platforms like insta and stuff are like brilliant for that because it's such you know catchy images nice like pithy mm. hashtag feminism tags on it and you're going to get the attention that gives you maybe a bit more of a user base a fan base than you wouldn't have had before so don't like that vibe it's interesting as well because what is the the meat of your your activism right if you're wearing a t-shirt that says the future is female if that is what you're claiming to believe what are you doing to build women up like wearing a t-shirt that says that is not enough like it's great to have awareness it's always great to raise awareness but what are you actually doing to to educate yourself to level the playing field for women it's the same with people who are sort of co-opting the black lives matter movement right like putting blm in your insta bio is not the same as doing the work and actually not centering yourself in that conversation it's not really for you like it's great that you're an ally but this is not your place yeah yeah definitely that's a really good point and i think it did become very quickly moving away from something that had some good properly kind of firmly grounded i would say purpose in that lesbian movement of the 70s and you know these groundbreaking women's only bookstores Hmm. and then kind of that being co-opted to being something quite mainstream and i don't mean mainstream in like a we want we want you know feminism to be mainstream Hmm. but in like a superficial way i suppose yeah there's no real social no not at all yeah absolutely and and that point kind of leads quite well into into the next topic i think to, to kind of unpick is more you know, yes, cool, nice, you're wearing a, a Futurist female shirt. But, like you say, what does that mean to you? Have mm. you, is your feminism a particular feminism that wants that? Because does feminism want a female future? Yes, true. Because if you think about the origin of the phrase, like, so Labyrinth, Labyrinth, the, the bookshop, apparently was a, a lesbian separatism bookshop. So, you know, it's a school of feminism that provo- promotes the isolation of lesbians away from men and away from heterosexuality either as permanently or temporarily so it's this idea that you completely remove yourself from the status quo right so in that context the future is female you would argue that that original meaning of it was that you want a matriarchal society that you want a society that is not dominated or led by men or even have have any men in it at all so you know is that what if you're wearing that shirt is that the feminism that you're (laughs) 
you're promoting. And I would say if it's a man wearing it, no. Yeah, of That's course. not the particular feminism that he's going for. Yeah, so it it's it's interesting. And, and yeah, different things can mean different things to different people in different times, right? I know we've had some good chats mm. before around can you separate the art from the artist? And yes, maybe that phrase meant that specific thing to those women in 1975. And that's fantastic. And that was, you know, their absolute, like, truth. But maybe now we can pick that up and explore it in a different direction. And not, you know, it doesn't mean it's any less valid. But it is kind of interesting with this phrase because I, I yeah I, I don't think that you know feminism generally would say that it's beneficial to completely replace a patriarchy with a matriarchy mainly because I think like the patriarchy isn't working for a lot of reasons mm. and I feel like there's lots of examples in other areas that you know if you have a broken system taking away the parts but maintaining that same system doesn't necessarily make anything super better when maybe what we need is a complete restructuring that uplifts and gives equity to to everybody who is marginalized and, and not represented and, and that's you know when they're only a part of that and that's why you know intersectionality is like so important here because it's making sure that we're, we're we're raising up people of color you know trans non-binary people like anyone who is outside of of that the, yeah the power the existing power structure yeah and i think if you're the, the thing with that is that you have to acknowledge that there is going to be a period of chaos when you do something like that there's always going to be a transitionary period of complete chaos and people are often use that chaos as an example of why it doesn't work it's like oh well because you know this is clear that this isn't going to work so i think about my own history so i grew up in south africa there's yep. a massive transition of power where you know nelson mandela became president in 94 and a lot of people would be like, well, this is why we needed the old system, because look at how everything is just broken now. And you need to give time and space and allow people to to find the way that things will work. You can't just go, well, the old system was great, because it clearly isn't great. Like, mm-hmm. it was horrible. And, yeah, just being dismissive of that is not a solution just because there was stability. No, absolutely. And and we, yeah, there it's extremely important to recognise, like, you know, that happened in 94. Mm. That's unbelievably recent. Yeah. And that, that criticism was coming out straight out the gate when, you know, things were trying to be established in a different way. But patriarchy has had thousands, thousands of, of years. Yeah. Like, they have perfected this. Mm. And, yeah, humans are, I would say, argue pretty change-averse, especially if you're the, the white men at the top of the pyramid. Yes. As we all know, if you've ever tried to change something in your own organisations, I'm sure you've experienced this, that... There's a lot of pushback as soon as you are trying to not, you know, and this is the thing about equality and equity, right? Mm. People will be like, well, we're giving equal opportunities to everyone. I don't care if you're male or female. It's like, but actually you need to uplift women and you need to uplift people of color because they've been systemically marginalized for years. So they don't have, they're not starting from the same starting point. And that's the key point. It's not giving everybody, you know, a hundred dollars to, it's the fact that, you know, if somebody's at minus $20, they're going to need $120 to get to the same level as another person starting from zero. Like It's so fascinating to me how people really struggle with that concept because they'll be like, well, I started from the same place. I'm like, yeah, but systemically, you're not starting from the same place. So you might feel that you are not being valued because you're a white man and maybe you weren't rich or whatever, but yeah. the system is still built to recognize you as someone of worth. Yeah, 100%. Without you saying anything but just seeing a white man's name or a white man's sounding name on a CV, you're going to get given an opportunity that other people with, you know, a different sounding name aren't going to get. 
Yeah, and we were just talking about it before as well, like the ageism that comes with that. Like if you're an older white man, no one's going to turn your job down for a job. But if you're an older woman, mm. forget it, right? Yeah. It's the difference between being seen as like a wise elder with lots of experience and institutional knowledge versus, you know, being over the hill or near to retirement or... Yeah. Yeah. And this is why I think if you're thinking about replacing a, a patriarchy with a matriarchy, that's not equity either. No. So doesn't really work no not at all because you're leaving entire swathes of people who are not focused on not valued and not upheld in the current system you know off the top of my head trans men non-binary people who might not feel that they fit into that binary at all and men of color yeah so i would i would argue that 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 the future is female <laughs> is maybe not doing the favors that that people wearing it think it's doing or the you know when they get their 10 year old daughter the t-shirt because they're like oh yeah it's cool like girl power girl boss yeah i think what we need to do maybe is reframe the future as female as being female traits are perhaps what we need you know we need to encourage empathy in men so if you're an empathetic leader which we often see with women, like, you know, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has said, like, she resents the implication that just because she's empathetic, she can't be strong because yeah. she's an empathetic woman. That is a criticism she faces a lot. So if you encourage that kind of empathy in men and you encourage more, you make it okay for men to have feminine traits, which at the moment they're being still being marginalised for, then you start to see a bit more change. So it's not so much the future is female as in you have to be female presenting. It's yeah. we are recognising the feminine spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then that opens the door to to recognizing and valuing anything that's not, you know, upheld as the one way to do stuff, right? Mm. So I I find it being okay. So you work with me, so you can you can like give your honest opinion. But I uh-uh. um, so home life. So I'm you know I like my quiet time. I'm you know quite home based. I would call myself introverted, and you know I like social occasions, but with close friends, you know, small groups, that kind of thing. In work, especially as kind of like moved through my 20s and became more kind of confident in the workplace and, and what I do and I don't want to accept in my job life, mm. I've found my voice, as it were. So quite often, like people who I work with will be surprised that I describe myself as introverted. And it's like, well, that unfortunately, you know, when I got a, my first team leader kind of position when I was like 23, 24, having, you know, a confident, louder voice in the room having more stereotypically mask traits of, you know, of speaking up and and holding space for yourself and prioritizing your needs. That was kind of the thing that was modeled to me as how you be a leader. And I've had to do quite a lot of unpacking of that, of to be like, no, I can be, you know, a leader, whether that's of people or kind of laterally influencing my peers. No, I can be a leader whilst being more introverted and I can, you know, do influencing in a different way that isn't a type A mask, mm-hmm. extroverted, Mr. Charisma. Yeah, that is the problem, right? Because the leadership qualities that we value in people are masculine leadership qualities. And it's the same with general behavior and like how women are often taught to police the way we email, right? Make sure before you email to take out the likes and do this and take out the exclamation points and make all your, everything we do is supposed to make us more masculine in a way that we have to have this masculine way of working because when we do it in our own intrinsic female ways, that is not valued. And it's like, you won't get your point across if you're too female, right? Like you're too girly. 
you know, we hear stories all the time about women who can't be feminine because they won't be taken seriously in the workplace. So that is what we need to change. And that's maybe where the future as female is really important. It's like we recognize that you can be feminine because you bring a different point of view and you could be a great leader because we need more leaders who are different. It doesn't help if all your leaders think the same, which we see in our organization all the time. Uh, Honestly. And it's not to say that strides haven't been made strides have been made but sometimes i feel like it's a carbon copy yeah. <laughs> like one generic older gray-haired white man <laughs> replaced by another generic older gray-haired white man and yeah there will be a point when they're all dead <laughs> like that generation you know of kind of like boomers or like boomers adjacent boomers and then hopefully there's a change here but typically people connect with and employ and recruit people that they see themselves in right and so, yeah, it is an issue when these people are in power and they're like, oh, okay, well, you're a great leader because you're displaying those same masculine, typical, charismatic, extroverted personalities. So I'm going to put you in those roles. And this is why the whole thing perpetuates. So Yeah, you don't take a chance on someone who's different or someone who is perhaps an unconventional leader or does something a bit differently or outside of the box because you want to... Re- the structure doesn't allow for it. We have to constantly feed the structure that we find ourselves in, the status quo, this capitalist nightmare that we have constructed for ourselves so yeah i think maybe yeah it's less about the future is female and that we have to have women in charge of everything and more about let's value feminine traits in everyone and what (laughs) women plus everyone else can bring to the table yes yeah i think that's cool i think that's a i'm definitely gonna think about that a lot more i think that um this podcast is making me approach those kind of phrases which I would have been a bit like, feel a bit weird about that, but not really taking a second to understand why. Mm. And this is cool to have the space to, to chat with you and kind of learn that stuff. In a bit more of my reading around um, that T-shirt, some some kind of conversation and stuff came up about some of the pushback it got mm. of not being so great in terms of reinforcing a gender binary. Mm, interesting, yeah. Again, that that binary of gender of female versus male and i was like damn fucking hell like it's so internalized that whilst i do my best to try and hold space for for the non-binary um you know this is meant to be like this queer feminist podcast we're really Mm. open to talking about this here and making sure that this is the lens through which we're watching who yeah yeah, it called me again and i was like oh damn it's so true you know oh it's male now so let's make it female done and no that's excluding like yeah, which is why yeah. I like the idea of it being about traits because you can be non-binary and still have masculine and feminine traits, right? Like if we recognize that there are certain elements that we ascribe a masculine power to, or like the moon and the sun, as they say in the fun teams. Yeah, there's different things that you can do. It's just about deconstructing and taking away the value judgments of how people present and emotion. I think this is the problem. We have ascribed value to, you know, if you're too emotional, or if you're crying, then you're too girly or you know if a young boy cries it's like you should stop crying because like that's a girly thing to do right that we reinforce from such a young age so if we can start unpicking that and stop doing that then you start to make those changes in the long run yeah absolutely it's too hard i'm not going to say we shouldn't try but it's incredibly difficult to do that to a man who is 54 and has never cried right because his dad told him off when he was 12 and so he has never cried in his life like trying to bring him along on this journey and be like it's okay to cry you know yeah (laughs) Yeah, and this is something we're like I know we've seen with people we work with, especially people in leadership, especially who are male, 
you don't necessarily need to understand it for yourself. Mm. You just need to recognize that it's a thing and respect that choice for other people. Yeah. So that scenario is perfect. Like probably that individual man, he's going to think it's a bunch of woo-woo and complain to his wife. But maybe that 54-year-old white guy can be like, actually, maybe I don't get it, but it's still important for my employees. So he can make that space for them. Even though he personally, you don't have to understand it. No, it's empathy, right? So yeah. you don't, it doesn't need to personally affect you. You just need to acknowledge, like, you know, it's the whole trigger warning conversation. It's like, yeah. why should I put a trigger warning on it? It doesn't offend me. It's not about you. The fact is someone else has told you that it, this upsets them. Therefore, just be a nice human and be like, okay, I acknowledge that this upsets you. So I will consider that in future. Because it costs you nothing. And this is yeah. why I don't understand that pushback. Like, it costs nothing. I'm sure another episode will touch on this, but that whole idea of, I mean, what does it cost really to, to embrace different perspectives, to make more kind of encouragement of those female traits, like to do anything for anyone other than, you know, what that status quo patriarchy is. It doesn't cost that much really, but then the issue is it does because it's the fear of giving up what you know, of feeling like you're going to lose value, use wor- lose worth. Mm-hmm. It's that yeah. whole quote about if you've been in a position of pa- of power, equality feels like oppression mm-hmm. because you have to give up. If you're someone who, let's say you're a director and you're used to getting all the jobs because you're you know a white guy and that you've always been surrounded by the white guys, now suddenly female directors are getting a leg up above you. Now you're like, that's not fair because my work still has value. Why are you giving that work to them? So you feel like you're being oppressed and you're recognising that they haven't had opportunities for literal decades and therefore you actually should take a step back and i get that maybe for you it doesn't feel fair but in the greater equity of society and does your voice really need to be elevated are you bringing something new to the table that hasn't been said over the last 10 20 years or can that woman tell a story that's actually different we talk about it all the time about how great it is to see this diversity in media right like we talk about heartstopper and how amazing that is and how lucky people are to see that kind of media but if you just constantly have white men in positions of storytelling you don't see those things so it's not oppression it's just equity absolutely because otherwise your future like you know we're talking about the future is female but the future will just look the same Mm. if stuff doesn't change nothing will change so maybe yeah yeah, maybe that's what the future as female is really saying is that we need a different future we need a future that is not male so in this instance in the 70s you know it's a long time ago we've come a long way since the way we we think about feminism and we think about gender since then and even sexuality so if your opposite of power structure was the opposite of male is female, they're going to say the future is female. Whereas now we've got a wider spectrum of thought, but that is the spirit of the slogan. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and that, you know, our thinking evolves with that discussion, with that learning, with maybe, and this is too necessarily, it is a spectrum not fixed, but, you know, those waves of feminism, hmm. learning and building as we go, acknowledging that past waves have great successes, but also great problematic areas. Hmm. But... That's okay, because with the next one, we do better. So this is interesting, because do you feel like the future presented in this episode is the opposite of a male future? I mean, no. Mm, Neither. It's quite a status quo-y. It still feels like nothing that much has changed, right? Yeah, 100%. So this is a really interesting point. And I was thinking the next thing we could talk about is Lady Cassandra Mm. a little bit. Just touch on how she is in this episode as an example of the last human the last Mm -hmm. human who is female to survive or as she puts it the last female uh, last human but Mm. we realize that actually that's not the case it's just her view but yeah i think you're totally right i think a lot of it is led by the budget of the show (laughs) 
Because when you've got human actors, yeah, you've only got so much budget mm-hmm. <laughs> to make interesting, non-humanoid, non-gendered. You know, we've got the massive face of Bo in a tank, mm-hmm. and we've got some low-budget black capes on the, the I... appearance of the repeated meme. <laughs> I love the repeated meme, because it's 2005, right, and already memes were a thing. Like, I forget how long we've had memes, as long as I 100% internet. thought I'd misheard them, and was like, did they say meme? Did we have memes in 2005? And then I was like, Jen will laugh at me for not knowing that we have <laughs> memes in 2005. And I love that the, you know, the idea that the repeated meme is just an idea because, of course, memes are just these little nuggets that we pass on that has currency for a few, sometimes years. I mean, the disappointed girlfriend meme has been going for quite a few years now and that still seems to have steam. So you just don't know how the memes are going to go. But mm, I love that. Yeah, so I think the fact that, yes, it is a future, actually, it's five billion years in the future. And who knows, maybe society has fallen across the galaxy fallen and been rebuilt and you know in different ways through that time and we've ended up with a future that looks not massively dissimilar to our own but yeah i didn't like the future (laughs) i don't think it had a lot going for it for one i mean okay so individual characters wise the uh appearance of the repeated meme is hilarious Mm -hmm. ladies cassandra is a horrible person rose has a fucking trial through this episode like it is a tough time for her through physically being about to be burnt by the sun multiple times and like screaming for her life right through to having like epiphany and processing the fact that she's literally run away with a man she knows nothing about and i think her words were oh hitched a lift with this man a total stranger and being like what am i doing and it's just kind of a wild time for her so i I do like that she challenges him at the beginning on like what do you do like you just come in and save people, which is like challenging that savior complex thing that we talked about last time. So that's cool. And and maybe this is set us being set up for her refusing to have like a nice female sidekick companion helping you out in your hour of need, but being kind of two dimensional. Mm. You know, she's got agency. She's pissed off. She got really annoyed that she did not consent to the TARDIS telepathic translation fielding her. The doctor was incredibly unempathetic towards her, and like this kind of cognitive breakdown that she has because this is the she's witnessing the end of the planet right and like she was just there and now she's not and this is a lot of information for someone to take in into this immense thing that she's witnessing and he's just like so dismissive of her and her needs and he sort of like just gets distracted by other people and lets her run off and you know he's not very attentive he's not very caring or anything and i'm not saying he needs to babysit her but just be aware of the situation yeah yeah this is very true like a kind of a lack empathy covers it perfectly this lack of kindness to the fact that she is having extremely dissonant experience Mm. but we've spoken about that as well because it's kind of the foreshadowing of his trauma right so he has a lot of ptsd as we'll discover later that he's dealing with and i think when we first meet him he is actually really unlikable like even in the last episode he did some things that were a bit he's not easy to like no he's not at all i totally agree i don't like him particularly he's entertaining but he's not a nice person Mm. necessarily through his actions yeah and then how much grace do you give someone for the fact that i mean obviously like he's processing a lot and he's Mm. done nothing outrightly awful to rose but that's like a very low bar for him right (laughs) yeah (laughs) so we'll see i'm interested to kind of i don't really remember his evolution through this season chris eccleston just did one season Mm -hmm. yeah so this is all we get of him. Mm-hmm. So it will be cool to see how kind of he takes that character and whether we see this empathy through his increasing contact with a human who has emotions and who readily will show them. Mm. Like Rose is happy to show him exactly what she's feeling. And that's really cool. I think a key, just bringing it back to Lady Cassandra, mm. a key part of us seeing Rose's emotions, that is in not a terribly complimentary way to Rose, is the 
argument towards the end of the episode that she has with Lady Cassandra. So we, we know by that point, it's been revealed to us that Lady Cassandra is not nice. She is, I overused the adjective nice, I realise. Who is, yeah, not a pleasant person. I mean, she's straight up evil. She's killing people. In oh, yeah, 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 100%. Yeah. But even before that denouement of her being, like, actually evil, we realise she is extremely vain. And that's not necessarily, like, a horrible trait in and of itself. But that quickly slides into, oh, so you're the last human. She's like, well, no, I'm the last pure mm-hmm. human. And, and she, the others are mongrels. She also says, shut it, pixie to someone so she's clearly a bigot right she's framed as a, a bigot mm. she is a purist she'd be into that eugenics life you know yeah but then rose also says to her you know you're not, you're not human you're just lipstick and skin and it's this yeah. idea of you know what makes you a human being who who is to decide you know how do you claim this power well yeah and the fact that she chose those words which is a very a i mean all Lady Cassandra is basically a skin, right? So she's going with skin. But from a beauty perspective, lipstick is a very female-associated thing. It's that thing with um, the 2016, 2017 election campaign when Jacinda was called, you know, lipstick on a pig by, what's his name, Gareth Morgan. When he's just putting lipstick on a pig. So it becomes a very gendered thing, this idea of lipstick. Gareth, if you're listening, I do not like you. He also has hot takes on cats. And I'm pro-cat. He's anti-cat. <laughs> There's that whole conspiracy about him. Because... Paddles, the PM's cat, got run over shortly after the election and everyone was like, it was Gareth Morgan. That's just a rumour, do not sue us. <laughs> but also, we haven't ruled it out, so. Yeah, so she's calling her lipstick and skin and then, that you know, you're not human, like you've had your humanity all nipped and tucked away, mm. which again is like kind of having a go at this cosmetic surgery, which is not cool. 2005 or 17 years ago, maybe it was more commonplace to... But, you know, if people want to have cosmetic surgery for, like, whatever reason, I'm not going to start a place to revile that. But I do think this episode was very much written from the point of view of of being a critique on that celebrity culture and a critique Mm. of getting lots of cosmetic surgery. Like, I vaguely remember that being a thing. But then we also need to acknowledge that there is an element here with Lady Cassandra being trans, right? So we just want to flag that we are aware of that and we will actually touch upon that when she appears again in a later episode because she does come back. Yeah, 100%. So we didn't want to get too much into that space now because it is a really interesting thing when you look at her entire arc, not just this one yeah. episode. But yeah, again, this idea of critiquing plastic surgery and critiquing, it sort of veers very dangerously into like gender affirmation surgery then, you know? Like, yeah, and then me... that's like not great. And mm. then this episode, you know, yeah, it's cool. Maybe you're trying to make a comment on celebrity culture and cosmetic surgery and that whole concept. But also, you know, written by RTD, right, still. Mm -hmm. So as a white guy who I presume has not had very many, definitely not had the seven or eight hundred procedures that Lady Cassandra has had. It's an interesting take to to revile that cosmetic surgery that's happening to a woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just feels like a cheap shot, right? It feels like a cheap shot. Yeah. And and Rose gets very personal with that. I mean, yeah, Cassandra's a horrible person. I'm not saying you have to be nice to horrible people. But towards the end, that final parting Mm -hmm. shot of you're a bitchy trampoline. Yeah, and I think this is the idea that, you know, she's a horrible person, but this idea that it's being tied to her cosmetic surgery, that's the problem. Like, yes. you're trying, it's the moralization in a way, because now you're linking this act with the morals of being bad. So, what are you saying? People who get cosmetic surgery are bad. Yeah. Are bad. Her cosmetic surgery hasn't made her want to murder people. Yeah. Right? Like, that's just her making those choices regardless. So it's easy to to just conflate those things and make it into an easily, like, oh, cosmetic surgery, you're vain and horrible, and it just makes you 
amoral. If you, especially when you tie so many of the jokes to that, right? Like yeah, yeah. you're a, a bitchy trampoline, or you know, just lipstick and skin. Like suddenly, you tie those two concepts together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I did think there were quite mm. a few things about class in this as well. Like Rose makes that comment: five billion years, and it still comes down to money, right? And mm-hmm. Rafalo, the blue engineer, yeah. plumber. You know, she's like, you have to give us permission to talk and blah blah blah. Also, I just want to flag that there are two women who die in this episode. So we lose two women. The engineer dies, or the plumber dies. And then the, the tree. tree. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not off to a great start. And the steward dies. The He dies. Mm. I just think we should track how many women sacrifice <laughs> themselves for the doctor's grand plan because. Yeah, because so the tree was like, the, the plumber was collateral damage. She mm. thought they were nice. They're always we robots and then, you know, it was all over. But um, the tree. Oh, I'm glad you brought up the tree. Is it Jay? Jay? Jabe. Jabe called yeah. Jabe. So I mentioned this last episode the doctor's flirtiness. Yeah. And that was prominently with Rose last episode. But this episode, it's with Jabe, but also Rose again. Mm -hmm. So what's going on? I did also notice this idea, you know, he says that Rose is his plus one. And then there's this whole thing about wife, partner, concubine, prostitute, whatever I am, I must be invisible. Rose is only visible when she is with him. Like she's only, her visibility is entirely tied to the doctor's presence. Yeah. And like, yeah, okay, he gives her legitimacy because he's got the psychic paper and whatever. But no one directly addresses her or anything. She's just like this, as she says, you know, whatever I am, I must be invisible, which is horrible. Yeah, and she gets bummed out and disappears to go and the viewing platform bit. And that's when she meets the the blue plumber. Mm -hmm. Nobody's like, oh, where's this important guest gone? It's just cool. Yeah. Which, you know, if we're thinking about the future as female, this is what I mean about it feeling like it's the same. Yeah, yeah. Same old nonsense. Like, she is only, you're only valid in, in terms of your positioning towards a man or a male appearing person. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole question in itself. How do we refer to the doctor? He's not a human. He's got two hearts. But is he, is he a man? I suppose he is when he's in he's, a human he's, body. He's male presenting as per human standards. I wonder if Time Lords can, like, look non-human, you know, because they, they regenerate. Yeah. <laughs> so... Could he just regenerate as like a whale if he wanted to? It would be a if bit. They wanted to. Maybe we should start calling him they. Yeah, I mean he's gender fluid for mm. sure, right? I think yeah. you could make a good argument for that. I mean, it would be harder to do his thing if he didn't have opposable thumbs. <laughs> you know, if he just was stuck to the sea. What he's if a whale? Was... I just saw everything everywhere all at once. Oh, I want to see it. And there's a scene where they're just rocks, and this is like this is a universe where the conditions weren't right for life and so they're just a rock i'm like yeah maybe you know the doctor could just be a rock i kind of want to be a rock right now bliss yeah just (laughs) just a brief break just soaking up the sun (laughs) and maybe being a rock will give him some time to stay still and process his trauma because that man he does he's always moving he's Mm. always walking around like yeah he'll have some occasional heart to hearts but it's like getting blood out of stone yeah and he's got this little shouty bit in this where he goes you know all that counts is here and now this is me so there's this like real element of male anger and male trauma I think Mm. that you know not being processed properly like being expressed in anger only when pushed he doesn't volunteer Mm. it yeah and it speaks to like a lot he does have a general bleakness Mm. which I think we obviously have to chalk up a lot to he's seen shit Mm. he you know he just casually drops in the set but he was on the fucking Titanic yeah like this is a man who's experienced not only his own personal trauma you know he's the last time lord Mm -hmm. 
but he has witnessed all this human that we know about, but presumably like all these other races and sapients and species is trauma too. Like it's not only the humans he's visiting on. Yeah, and he's witnessed the entire destruction, not only of his planet, but other planets as collateral damage yeah. in this war. Yeah, 100%. So we've seen a lot. He states in the closing scene of this episode, you know, um, well, towards the end, Lady Cassandra's dying and, and clearly suffering. And even though Rose has had a big argument with her and she's objectively a horrible person because she tried to murder people, Rose, you know, pleads with the doctor and says, help her. And he states in extremely level voice, everything has its time and everything dies. Mm. It's like, whoa. Yeah. yeah. But there must be something about, you know, once you've seen as much as he's seen, once you've been around as long as he has, it must do something to your empathy, right? It has to impact you. It's the yeah. way that people are desensitized during wartime as well, yeah. right? You just become, human life becomes meaningless to you because you've seen so much loss and destruction. Through, I mean, that's probably a, a great example of it happening involuntarily, right? Mm-hmm. But then even, you know, I have friends who are doctors and they're like, you gotta suck it up because it's a protective mechanism. If they feel personally, you know, every rubbish, shitty thing happening to someone with their health or, you know, even up to and including death, then that really very quickly burns you out emotionally. Yeah, and it impacts your ability to do your job because you're going to have to make hard decisions. Like, if you're constantly worrying, like, fuck, if I do this, is this person going to die? You're never going to do anything. And if you're a medical professional, sometimes none of that work is foolproof. We like to think that doctors have it all figured out, but so much of science, especially, like, human science, it's just guesswork. So, yeah, like, if you're constantly going to be in your head about that, you're probably not cut out to be a doctor. Yeah, and so, or, you know, you just end up taking on such a strong emotional impact from it Mm. that, you know, it takes a bit of you with it. Which is interesting when we think about him being called the doctor, right? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Great point. Oh, Oh, we should definitely talk about that. I've not done any reading on it, but we should work out where that came from. Who decided to call him a doctor? Men deciding that men in the 60s, you know, it's kudos if you're called a doctor, right? Healing the world, which is such a God complex thing, <laughs> right? But I think the doctor, Wrong. you could definitely make the argument that the doctor has a God complex. And we'll definitely oh, yeah, see yeah. that. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've seen it already. We're two apps in. And he's like, our, our savior, white knight complex, mm. <laughs> epitomized. So I think that was the, yeah, that was my theme. I think that was some good chats. I think the episode gave us the the chance to talk about the future and how this episode portrayed that future, not not favourably, and how we think the future of feminism should look or... Could look. Could look, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's end on a positive note then. So did you have a standout moment? Oh, mate, I've got multiple. Like, I I know what your one is and it's on my list too, so I'm not going to say that one. But... Lady Cassandra's entire dramatic personality is just fantastic. (laughs) So voiced by Zoe Wanamaker, Mm. you know, the woman, the myth, the legend. Mm. I love her. And key phrases, so moisturize me. Always great. Love that. Still use that all the time. (laughs) And then blaming the appearance of the repeated meme with (laughs) J'accuse. It's just brilliant. I'm going to start using that at work. Yeah, literally. Oh, mate, there's so many people we can jacuse. Do you remember when we both went to see June and then we were just yelling across the floor, how's the tradies accepts at every meeting Yeah, request? every time I was like, do you want to get a cup of tea? And then you're like, how's the tradies accepts? 
That was a good time. Um, yeah, our colleagues hate us. It's yeah, yeah. I will continue using that past the point of when it is funny because I still think that it's funny. Yeah, so that was my main one. Who is clever in that they have quite smart onto it points that are quite drop away phrases and you have to kind of listen quite closely. So they're coming into platform one in the TARDIS and there's that yeah, recorded message that says, guests are reminded that platform one forbids the use of weapons, teleportation and religion. Mm, cultural yeah. commentary, yeah. And then obviously there's sneaky teleportation happening because of Cassandra like zipping out of there and zipping back in again and getting cooked. But yeah, weapons and religion. Wow. Mm. Let's yeet all that into the sun. I mean, yeah. <laughs> both used to great devastating effect. Yeah, 100%. So, your standout moments? Yeah, so I, I've already spoken about the repeated meme, which yeah, I yeah. love. But my actual standout moment is when Cassandra is like, let us mourn her with a traditional ballad. And they play Toxic by Britney Spears, which I think is just one of the greatest Woo-hoo! television moments. You know, they really went there and it's just like a baller move. It's so funny. It's still fucking funny all these years later. And I forgot about it until it happened and I literally fell off my couch laughing. And I think it's so great because pop music is often trivialized and Britney Spears has been through her own horrific journey that has been covered ad nauseum. But like this idea that it's trivial and it's not important and like pop music and things that teenage girls like is not important. And yet that's what endures. Yeah. Like that's the popular stuff that five billion years from now people are going to remember. So yeah. There's so much to unpack that. I really, I put down the, the whole jukebox thing with traditional ballads, lol. Tainted Love as well. I mean, <laughs> these, like, there's two bangers. Yeah. Tainted Love and Toxic for the ages. Yeah. But this whole jukebox thing is like uh, a historical relic. Mm. And then it makes me think about like, what do we use now that will be historic relics? <laughs> I think about this all the time. There was this great tweet the other day from someone being like, imagine 2,000 years from now they uncover this script and they're like, this ancient relic from the past humans and this worship this text and it's like the script to boss baby (laughs) oh my god no and someone else was saying this week that in 2000 years or whenever someone does an archaeological dig of disneyland they will 100% think it's a religious site yeah definitely so i mean this is a 30 second point but so i did a degree which was very much centered on an ancient world and it struck me so many times through that study that a lot of stuff no one's got a fucking clue what it's used for <laughs> so you find these things and it's just chalked up to ritual purpose so how much now are we going to be like oh ritual purpose COVID tests literally like who knows ritual purpose yeah literally right that was my that was my standout moments I did have general I don't know whether we need to come up with another subcategory of like soaps random observations <laughs> But the TARDIS is, like, alarmingly low-tech, right? Mm. So we open this episode, he's twiddling knobs, like, they've basically kept it as it looked in, like, 1960 yeah. whenever, when they started this, right? Like, he's doing he's doing wacky things with knobs and dials, like, pulling out things that obviously looks like, like bits of someone's car. But then Rose makes a call five billion years back in time, which presumably is, like, extremely high-tech. So a bit of a jarring juxtaposition. Yeah, I mean, this is always the thing with Doctor Who, I think. It is so low-budget sometimes, and then it has these really high-tech and high budget moments it is quite jarring yeah yeah but it's suspension of disbelief too you're like yeah cool whatever like TARDIS can do its thing it's travelling through space and time I mean yeah and especially these first seasons you know when they were just reviving the show and I think they didn't have the budget they have and especially Old Who I have watched some Old Who and stuff and you're like this person has just been painted blue you know what I mean like she looks just like a person who's been painted blue the Cybermen who are literally their entire costume is like tinfoil or like (laughs) silver painted cardboard boxes like when you're seven and then you decide to be a robot and like cut a head hole in a box. They've literally done that. <laughs> or and, like, the BBC is like, yeah, a cracking costume. Yeah, our Halloween costumes <laughs> from last year. Oh my god! So uh, for Halloween last year, we went as ghosts and we legit just cut eye holes in a creepy mouth hole 
in some single white sheets. Which we thought would work better and look better than it transpired it did. It looked terrifying, but not in the way intended. <laughs> it wasn't Yeah, time. so that's a brilliant visual image. We're super cool, by the way, <laughs> just if that wasn't clear. Yeah, and then another random observation. I mentioned it before, but general floodiness, like at the end of the app, when Rose says to the doc, oh, what kind of date are you? And then they're like, toddle off chuckling and she like grabs his arm and like rests her head on his shoulder just interesting I, I really didn't pick up that floating nose first time around or or at least not remember it to be like so overt no I definitely remember the doctor being flirty with Jabe I remember that and I I always had this idea that the flirtiness the connection between Rose and the doctor started with 10 like mm. this is the way that I yeah. remembered it that that's where the, the romantic arc started but I think the seeds are laid a lot earlier yeah. planted rather earlier which I forgot. Yeah. Or just didn't notice, didn't care. Hope not to see, because that's... Oh, yeah. I'm always hoping not to see romance, but they inflicted upon me. Mate, it's hard. It's a hard world when romance is... The default. Or basically, like, number one trope, right? It's just frustrating. I, that's why I write, because I want to write the stories that I wanted to read, which Woo! are not romance-based. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, right? You don't find what you want in the world, then mm. do your best if you can to create what you want to consume. Cool. So next week we'll be discussing episode three of season one, The Unquiet Dead. Let us know your thoughts by emailing a TARDIS of one's own at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, check out the show notes for links and for all the references discussed in this app. Fabulous. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.